Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Before we get too deep into things today, I want to start with a clip. I've got a little treat for you. Um, I want to show you a clip from, from um, The Born Identity. This is the very first of the Born Trilogy, and this is a, a, a scene that I think will kind of set up. It kind of just kind of sets the tone for where we're going today. So Kyle, run that for us. Ihre Hand, bitte. going through that box and he's finding out that he and I don't know if you know the, the premise behind that but when he goes into that room he does not know who he is he's got amnesia and he, 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 he can he can remember certain things very well like he could remember the account number to get that box he when they asked him to write it down he instantly wrote it down but he couldn't remember his name didn't know where he was from didn't know where he lived that kind of stuff and then he opens that box up and he finds the one passport but then he finds 
about a dozen others, all with the same picture, all with different names. And so there's this identity crisis going on. It's all about a man trying to figure out who he is. And if you don't know who you are, then it kind of sets you up, um, all of us in life. If we don't really know who we are, it sets us up for this not a real mentally healthy uh, view of ourself. And so um, if you don't see yourself clearly, if you don't know who you are, you're going to have a hard time being an emotionally, mentally healthy person. Um, the question is, what, what do you see, who do you see when you look into the mirror? There, there's, there's two extremes in the room this morning. The, the first extreme is the person who looks into the mirror, and, and what they see staring back at them is someone who says, you're fat, especially after this past week that we, we would hear that. You're fat. Um, you're ugly. You're not educated. You're, you know, you're not good enough. There's some people that when they look into the mirror, they don't get a good response from the mirror. They get bad stuff coming back at them. It's not healthy at all. The second group, they tend to see themselves way too positively. You know, they, they look into the mirror and they say, yeah, I'm liking what I see looking back at me. And, um, you know, we're looking for a healthy view of life. I don't think we really want our kids doing that either, do we? Yeah, looking good. No, I don't, that's, not, that's not what we want. We're looking for a healthy view of life, and what you find is that a healthy view of life is absolutely tied into a proper view of God and how you relate to him. Here's the deal. God has a plan this morning for every single person in the room. I think what happens is that people, as they get older, they, if they decide not to go be a missionary, and if they decide not to go into the ministry, they decide, then God really doesn't have anything for me. I can just kind of do whatever. No. God has something for you. There's a, he's calling you to something. There's a plan. Everybody in here, there's a plan that God has for your life. It's not just limited to preachers and missionaries. It's, 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 it's more than that. God says in Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for you, and that plan consists of what he wants to do for you. Now, we like that. We like to hear what God's going to do for me. You know, I, I want to know that God forgives me, and I want to know that God redeems me. We like that. And, and we're pretty good with the idea that God does certain things in us, what he wants to do in us, the work on the inside to make us more like him and to make us, uh, you know, just better people, uh, more godly people. We we like to talk about that, but we, we, we kind of depart from this idea that God wants to do something through us. Here's the truth. Most of us cannot fathom what God wants to do through us. And the reason is primarily insecurity. You know, we start taking an inventory of our life, and one of the things we say is, well, I failed here. I I dropped the ball there. This is a place in my life that's not a good place. And we start to look at all those kind of things, and most of us are like, you know, okay, I know what he wants to do for me, and I know what he wants to do in me, but God's not going to do anything through me. Look at my life. Look at all the places where I've messed up, and and I wish I could have that back, and wish I could do that over. We're going to look at a guy today who had lots of insecurities. We all have insecurities, and and we've got to deal with it. God is going to use us. We have to, to conquer some of these insecurities that we have in order to really find the true identity that we have in Jesus so that we know who we are. Moses had that problem. We've kind of got that issue, and, and I, I've, I've had to wrestle with that, still do. 
Exodus 3 is where we're going to be today. If you've got your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3. It's Genesis, Exodus. It's easy. Go to the front, flip a little bit. You'll come to Exodus 3. I'm going to do this a little different. I'm going to kind of read down into the passage and do some setup, and then we'll come back to the top, and we'll read from the top down. God looks at Moses, and he says, Moses, I've got a plan for you. And Moses basically responds, I'm not your guy. I'm I'm not the one... You know, I can't do it. I don't speak well. I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this or that. I just, I'm not good at it. And God wants to move. The plan is God wants to move somewhere between 2.5 million to 3 million people out of Egypt to a land of their own. They're in bondage. The time is right. He wants them moved. And he wants Moses to be the one to do it. So he's going to show up and he's going to say, Moses, I've got a plan for you. And Moses is going to say, I don't want that. I don't want to do that. I'm not... I'm not I'm not the guy. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 says this. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, I've got a plan. And it's going to happen, and you're going to do it. Here's what you need to understand about God's plan. Any plan that God has Anytime he's going to do something, he's going to raise up a person to do that. Whatever it is that he's got planned, he, you know, he doesn't just you know, magically make things happen. He raises up people to affect change. He, he finds a person. He gives them the spiritual guts to do the things that he wants them to do. He gives them the spiritual knowledge. He gives them what they need in order to fulfill the job, whatever it is that God is calling them to. And then he changes things through that person. If he wants to change a school, he raises up a person to change the school. If he wants to change a business or a family, he raises somebody up to do that. And God has a job here, and he says, Moses, you're the guy. I'm going to raise you up to get this thing done that I want done, and this is how it's going to be. And then Moses says, verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You see, he had a past. You have a past. I have a past. Moses had a past that haunted him. There was a specific failure that haunted him. He had done this 40 years before. Things hadn't gone real well. He had tried to step in. He tried to take care of some Hebrew brothers. It hadn't gone real well. 40 years later in the desert, it's time to do it again. God said, verse 12, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. In other words, this is guaranteed. If I send you, then this is going to happen. This is how it's going to go down. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, now if you've got a pen in your hand and you're following along, I would like for you to circle the word when. When. Not if. See, it's not the same. If it was just us, we would go, well, maybe I'm going to do that. When God says, no, this is going to happen, I'm going to be with you and this is how it's going to happen, he's not talking in ifs. He's talking in wins. When this happens... When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will, you might circle that word, will worship God on this mountain. Now, it might be hard to define, but it's easy to know what insecurity is. I I experience insecurity all the time as the pastor of this church. I, I experience insecurity all the time. Ask anybody that knows me really well, and they will tell you that I don't feel smart enough, I don't feel spiritual enough, I don't, I'm, I don't feel like I'm... Um, 
wise enough, I, I feel like I'm in over my head. I fight that all the time. There's this insecurity thing going on with me all the time. If you could see me around other pastors, what you would see is that I kind of shrink back. I just, I don't, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't feel like a pastor. <laughs> I feel like I got to grow up some before I can be a pastor. Pastors are supposed to be smart and wise and grown up. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, you're none of those. So we all fight with these things, these insecurities, these identity things going on. We get to places where we just feel insecure. Let me give you a definition, and then we can apply this where we're going to go today. This is the definition we're going to use as we look at the life of Moses. And my guess is you'll see yourself in this as well. Insecurity defined, my awareness of the gap between who I want to be and who I am. The gap my awareness of the gap between who I want to be and who I am. And we respond in a bunch of different ways. Some of us just try too hard. Guys, do you remember when you were dating girls and you were asking girls out and you tried way harder than you should have and you would psych yourself up and you'd you know, get ready to call them or you'd, if, you're, if you're really brave, you'd talk to them face to face and you would try to ask them out and be suave and debonier, you know, you just be really you're going to just knock it out of the park and you just tried way too hard and you locked up and froze and it just it was crash and burn, it was just awful sometimes people just get frozen in moments in this story that's what happens to Moses Moses says I'm, I'm out of here 40 years earlier it's that feeling that I'm not this or I'm not that. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I don't have what it takes. You know, it's for somebody else to do. I'm anxious. Where does that come from? Let's go back to Exodus 3. Let's talk through the story. Let's make some application where we live. There are probably some reasons why we're so insecure in certain areas. We're going to try and figure that out today. The first thing is we get insecure because of our past. We're insecure because of our past, because of mistakes we've made, because of decisions, because of things that we've done. And we go, man, I'd like to have that back. You see that word now in the first verse of Exodus 3, now? That's usually indicative. That word in Scripture is usually indicative of the idea that some time has passed, that a significant amount of time has passed. In this case, in the current statement, we're talking about 40 years have elapsed. Moses is 80 years old when this story we're going to look at today happens. But the chapter before talks a lot about what happened in the first 40 years. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Moses had an amazing first 40 years. Pretty, pretty cool first 40 years. My, um, my preacher growing up in, in, when I was a kid... Um, I came from a great church. My preacher is kind of famous a little bit. His, his name is L.D. Campbell. And I, I still to this day remember a sermon that L.D. preached on, uh, on Moses. And he said this. I've never forgotten it. He said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody. He spent the second 40 years of his life realizing he was a nobody. He spent the third 40 years of his life realizing that God can use a nobody. Now he's out on the backside of nowhere, tending his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. How'd you like that job? Tending sheep for your father-in-law, out in the middle of nowhere. Some of the moms right now, after 
cooking Thanksgiving dinner and having a house full of people or thinking to themselves, you know what, middle of nowhere sounds pretty good to me about now. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's been tending sheep for 40 years. If you were to ask Moses at this particular moment, I think what you would hear Moses say is, I am probably going to die doing this. This is it for me. I'm going to tend sheep for my father-in-law. Maybe he'll kick off one of these days and I'm going to inherit the sheep, but this is kind of what I'm going to do from here on out. Look at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. What did now include? Now included the first 40 years of Moses' life. Moses was born at a time when they were killing Hebrew babies. There were too many Hebrew babies, and they decided that they were just going to thin them out, so they started killing them. And his mom loved him so much when he was born, she didn't want to see him killed. Natural reaction for a mother, so she did some things to protect him. She hid him, and some of Pharaoh's family come and find Moses. This girl, this young woman, comes and finds Moses, and she says, Hey, there's a baby. And what actually happens is God sets up Moses' life so that he gets raised in Pharaoh's house with all of Pharaoh's resources, but he gets nursed and raised by his own birth mother, which is kind of cool when you think about it. So he's raised with the best food, the best education, the best background, all this stuff, and God says, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, your, your, your own mom is going to be the one that raises you. Now, more than likely... As mom was raising young Moses, one of the things she kept saying to him was, don't ever forget where you come from. Don't forget that you are a Hebrew baby. I want you to know where you come from. Remember who you are. You are not an Egyptian. Now, why would we say that? We would say that because somewhere along the way, Moses makes a decision that he is going to start to look out and think about the plight of the Hebrew people. The story goes on. He, he's, he's out one day. He's about 40 years of age. It's a normal day. And he's been thinking about the plight of the Hebrews. And he, he comes upon this scene where this, this, he, this uh, Egyptian is beating the snot out of this Hebrew. And Moses looks around, and no one's looking, and he kills this Egyptian and spares this Hebrew. The next day, he's walking along. He comes upon two hebrews who are going at it with each other he steps in between the two of them and he says hey stop you know we're brothers don't 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 hit on one another that don't do that well they look at him and said well you killed an egyptian yesterday who are you to be talking to us well when he hears that he freaks out and he runs and so you have moses out in the middle of nowhere scared to death that that somebody's going to realize who he was by this time it's probably waned some but that's his past and he doesn't want anybody to know and he doesn't want that revisited or anybody to bring that up to him so he flees to the wilderness he's he's tending sheep for 40 plus years and then god shows up and says moses i have a plan for you and moses didn't bite he's not buying it you know his basic response is who am i in the next chapter, God's going to say, uh, he's going to say to God, what if I go and they don't believe me? God, what if I do what you're wanting me to do? What if I do that and they don't believe me? Because God, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I tried this 40 years ago. I tried to step in for the Hebrew people and it didn't go well. And I've, now I've got a past as a result of it. 
If, if I were to give you guys a card this morning and a, a piece of paper, and I could assure you that no one would see what you wrote, and I were to ask you, write down that thing in your life, the biggest mistake you ever made that you wish you could have back, that thing that you're ashamed of or that embarrasses you or that you don't want anyone to know, that thing that you, you wish you could have a do-over. That, that if someone knew that about you, it would, just, it would pain you to, to think that anybody would know that about you. And you could write that on a card, and I was going to have you bring all those cards and put them in a box, and then I was going to go through them one by one anonymously, and I would just pull them out. You know what I would find in that box? I would find all kinds of stuff from us. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, abortion, adultery, anger issues. That's just the A's. Gossip, lying, lust. I mean, I mean, the box would be full of all kinds of just crazy stuff that we go, yeah, none of us wants that on our resume. Nobody wants to talk about that part of our world. We don't, we, we, we're trying to forget all that stuff. Here's a newsflash. We all have a past. We've all got stuff that we would just soon not have to think about, and we definitely don't want anybody else to know about it. All of us have something that we would say, man, I just, I wish that had not happened. And if you don't understand how God deals with it, and if you don't deal with it the right way, all it does is it kills your present. Your past kills your present and messes with your future. Some of you men, you, you want to disciple your kids, but you're aware of that gap between who you are and who you want to be, and you kind of tuck your head and you say, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the kind of guy that can disciple my kids. I'm not the guy that can lead my family. There's a gap between who you are and who you want to be, and you let it affect not only your future, but the future of your kids. Some of you moms... You, you want to disciple your kids, but you say, Brett, if you could have seen how I was screaming at my kids yesterday in the van, and if you could have heard some of the words I was using and seen the kids going, <laughs> then you would know. I, I'm not the one. I can't disciple my kids. Here's the truth. If you don't ever learn how to rebound when you blow it, you're never going to see the extent to which God wants to use you. You've got to learn to rebound. I'm not talking about excusing sin. I'm not talking about just saying, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. I'm talking about rebounding. There's this glorious thing. I, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be a downer or anything, but can I just tell you how bad I hate this time of year, weather-wise? Did I say hate? Hate. Hate. I need the sun to shine, right? I can't wait for March and April to get here, especially... March is a cool thing that happens in March. If you're a sports fan, there's this thing that happens in March. Amen. Amen. About to get right up in here. It's called March Madness. And it is a, a, a long-standing tradition in my house that when March Madness comes, Myra at this point just knows the world kind of stops. She doesn't ask me to do anything. I mean, it's like... You know, he, he's no good to me at, at this point. And I'll get snacks and stay up late and watch all the games. And, you know, it's just that's just the, the first two days are glorious. It's just awesome. Awesome. 
But here's what I can tell you about March Madness. When I sit down this year to watch March Madness, I'll see a lot of things. I'll see buzzer beaters. I'll see overtimes. I'll see upsets. see all kinds of crazy stuff. Great plays, awesome dunks, great coaching, all that. Here's what you won't see. You will not see perfection. You won't see perfection. You'll see missed shots, missed assignments. You'll see bad defense on occasion. You'll, you'll see a kid just not, you know, some kids will shine and rise to the occasion. Other kids just, they'll, they'll, they'll have a brain lapse and, they just, that, and it'll cost them the game. Something crazy. Some of them will take shots and they'll miss them. Some of them will be total bricks. There's a lot of reasons why someone might shoot a brick. One of the reasons is they're just not very good and they shouldn't be shooting the ball. They're just, they're just not very good. Uh, some of them are shooting the ball and they've got a hand in their face and, and they're shooting bricks because somebody's got a hand in their face. Other people are shooting bricks because they got fouled. There's a really good reason. You know, you say the ball clanked off the rim because he got hit on the elbow on the release. There's no way that ball's going in. Regardless of the reason that the kid misses the shot, here's what a coach is not going to say. Get out of the gym! Every basketball coach worth his salt that I ever had taught me the same thing. When you shoot, what's the next thing you're supposed to do? Follow the shot. Follow the shot. Why do we follow the shot? We follow the shot because in case I miss, I want to get the rebound and put it back up. I shoot anticipating that I'm going to miss it so that I can rebound and put the ball back in. I don't know why you missed metaphorically speaking in life i don't know why you missed maybe you're just a bad shot maybe somebody had a hand in your face you know maybe maybe somebody fouled you you would say you know it's not my fault it has, something else had something to do with it maybe so but the idea is you've got a rebound moses had a past you've got one i've got one What am I going to do? It's not too late. Moses is 80 years old. He could have said, you know, why don't you go get a young buck to do this, God? I'm, I'm too old to do this. I don't have any voice. And he tried that for a while. He kept trying to give God these reasons, and it didn't work. God just kept saying, you're the guy, you're the guy. And I'll guarantee you that there are some people that God's looking at saying, you know, Listen, you're the one that I want to reach the sports team. You're the one I want to reach your family. You're the one I want to, re to do something in this church. Or you're the one I want to do something at work. And we're given all the excuses. You're the, you know, you're the one that's going to break the, the chain of bad parenting in your family. Or whatever it is. You're the guy. You're the woman. See, and, 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 and we're, we're balking. And here's what I'll tell you. I told the teaching a discipleship class right now i told the discipleship class this about three weeks ago we are already far educated beyond our obedience you, you do not need another sermon you do not need another bible study to know what to do you live in america you've heard enough sermons you've heard enough bible studies it amazes me people you know they want, a, they want a wednesday night service and a sunday night service and it seems like the more services you have the better your church is my whole thing is Let's just do what we already know how to do, and then we'll talk about doing some more services. We're already incredibly disobedient relative to our education. If we would just do what we already know, we would be great. God's saying, look, you're the man. Verse 2, there the angel, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Which I would suggest to you, if you ever see a bush that's on fire that's not burning up, you might want to go take a look at that. Just saying, because you don't see that every day. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, I want you to circle Moses' name twice there. I want you to circle it. It's significant. Here's what I want you to understand when you see God calling Moses by name. I want you to understand he knows your name. He knows your name. He knows every hair on our head. For some of us, the number's smaller. But, but, you know, some of you, the number's pretty big. Some, it's not at all. One. <laughs> Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Any place where God is is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What he's doing is he's going back to, to Moses' history and he's trying to get them to see, look, what I did for them, I will do for you. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Can I just turn aside for just a minute before we get to verse 7? and tell you something as your pastor I know some of you are going through some pretty difficult things I know some of you just think man when is it going to end and you might be really tempted to say I wonder if God even notices me I wonder if God even knows that I'm here I wonder if God even knows that I'm going through what I'm going through why isn't God on this thing now let's look at verse 7 the Lord said I have indeed seen the misery of my people God is not asleep at the wheel he sees it he knows I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering listen he hears your cries and he sees your tears he does I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Sometimes it is our past. Sometimes it's just the fact that we have failed before. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? Sometimes it's our past that causes the problem. Sometimes it's our performance. It's a good plan, God. You just got the wrong guy. I'm the wrong person. I'm 80 years old. I can't speak good. Which wasn't true, by the way, about Moses. I failed before. Moses is throwing all kinds of excuses at God as to why he's not the man. 
that God should pick for this job. You've used the same excuses that I've used. I'm too busy. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not wise enough. Moses, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I've got to get my act together first. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Well, I'm going to do something for God one of these days, but I need to get my act together first. We're waiting. Listen, when, if, if you're waiting for perfection to occur before God uses you, you'll never get to that place because you will always have a past and you will always have things that you wish you could take back. Those are not going away. And God knows it. God's okay with using you with those things in your past. Moses had been in the wilderness for so long that he had lost the vision for what God wanted to do in his life. He said, I'm not, I'm not the guy to speak, which is not true. Stephen, in his sermon, said about Moses, Moses was mighty in word. Apparently, Moses was a great communicator. But 40 years on the backside of nowhere, tending sheep for his father-in-law, had killed what God wanted to do in his life. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe one of these decisions that you've made in your life that just kind of wrecked everything and you kind of look like you know it hadn't happened in a couple of years but there was a time when it just seemed like every professional sports team was getting a new arena right and they were tearing down all the old ones something that had taken them years to build with a few strategically placed sticks of dynamite 15 seconds later they leveled whole stadiums i don't know if you ever saw any of those but it's kind of cool but if that's a metaphor for life, sometimes our decisions are those strategically placed pieces of dynamite. We make a couple of bad decisions and just seems like everything's gone. And we think it'll never be the same. This is what God said through Joel. I can restore the years of your life that the locusts have eaten. Moses had 40 years behind him. Now he's... he's after his mistake he's got 40 years now he's 80 years old and god's about to flip the switch and restore the 40 years that moses thought were gone long gone but they weren't wasted he was training moses he was getting him ready because he had a plan god had an agenda god will take your past and he will use it to glorify him he always does that it's not about what you've done. It's about what God can do with what you give to him. He can take all your failure. He can take all your junk. What we have to get over is that our identity is tied up in all the good stuff that we think we can do. Here's some examples. Especially guys, we're bad about this. Men are horrible about placing our significance and our self-worth in the positions that we have i'm the ceo of this i'm the owner of this i run this you watch any two guys that have never met one another put them in a room and let them let them talk let them stand there and talk first thing you'll notice is that guys don't stand face to face guys stand shoulder to shoulder you don't really look at each other we just kind of stand like this and look out at whatever because that's cooler and then once in a while we'll spit because that makes us look like men <laughs> you know kick the dirt a little bit you know <laughs> we've got issues we, we we do but inside five minutes of that conversation what's one of the what's one of the questions you're going to hear what do you do what do you do it's big to us 
Well, I, I own this company, or I run this business, or I, you know, I'm the manager of this, or I oversee this. I've got this job, or I, you know, I'm the CEO of that. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a whatever. That title's big, to, especially to men. There's nothing wrong with being glad that you've got a title, but if you're not grounded in something other than your title, when the title's gone, you've got a problem. Because now you don't feel like you've got any worth. And God can't do anything with you. You're a mom, and your whole identity is tied up in those little kids. Well, what's the problem? The problem is when those kids grow up and they leave the house, and your whole identity for 20 years has been my kids, my kids, my kids, and now the kids are gone, and God says, hey, I want to use you. Well, but I'm, I'm, I'm just a mom. Oh, no. My kids are gone. I don't know who I am anymore. There's nothing wrong with enjoying being a mom. There's got to be more to you than that. For some, it's all tied up in possessions. Look at my boat. Look at my motorcycle. Look at my cool car. Look at my house. Look at my yard. I mean, we, 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 well, we all love our stuff. Now, you really want to get in touch with this? Let's go back to high school. Let's think about all the different groups that were in high school. The geeks, the brainiacs the ones with the pocket protector and the calculator, right? The ones that when the teacher told a joke, they raised their hand and said, is that going to be on the test? <laughs> Hated those guys. Like, knock it off. Then there were the class clowns. Everything was a big joke to them. Nothing was serious to them, you know. Fire alarm, it could be serious. Oh, fire alarm, cool. There were the jocks and the beauty queens, right? Were you the jock and the beauty queen? Got picked first. You were the beautiful people. We hated you, too. <laughs> My personal favorites are the loners, the goths. The, you know, the, they're kind of off by themselves. You, you know them because they're wearing black, and they, for some reason they've got 400,000 zippers in their pants. Still haven't figured that out. And they do that. They dress that way to be different, which the problem is they're all running in a pack and they all look the same. And then there was the party crowd. They would come to school on Monday talking about the great time they had. And somewhere in the story, they'd thrown up on a curb somewhere, and I could never figure out how that was any fun. Like, what is wrong with you? And the rest of us were just regular Joes. Just kind of went to class, tried to get along. Here's the thing. You had better have your identity nailed to something more solid than how many zippers you got on your pants or whether or not you're the king of the hill when it comes to basketball. Who is God and who am I in God? That is where Moses had to get. We do that in two ways. How do we conquer this? Because you see self-esteem low self-esteem is a problem high self-esteem is a problem you want to know the truth jesus would rather you not have an esteem and you think i'm lying about that listen to what jesus said jesus said look i want you to lose yourself for my sake and that is where you will find yourself in me lose yourself in me and then you'll really know who you are c.s lewis said oh to be free from myself just for a moment 
is like a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. Two truths. First of all, I want you to understand I am valued by the Lord. I am valued by the Lord. He looks at you and me and he says, you are precious in my sight. I'm crazy about you. This is one of the biggest things I have to get, the biggest struggle I have to get uh, adults convinced of is that God is absolutely nuts, crazy, head over heels in love with you. You ever gone to the, uh, the preschool musicals? You've been to preschool musicals and just been an observer at a preschool musical watching. It's, it's really cool, or even an elementary musical, because what you see is you see, you see video camera technology unlike anything you've ever seen before. And you see all the moms come in in front of the dads, pointing out the spot where the dad's supposed to stand to get the best shot of their kid. And then you watch, and if you could see the screens, there's, there's 40 kids on the stage, but there's only one kid in the video, right? My kid, because my kid's better than your kid. Because when I put my eyes on my kid, he is precious in my sight. Your kid, not so sure. My kid is awesome. could I offer up to you that that's how God sees us? God thinks you're awesome. You're precious in his sight. Now here's what you got to understand. You, you got to understand that you're not awesome on your own. Just you by yourself, that's not awesome. What's awesome is that God puts his eyes on you, and then he says, you're precious to me. Now listen, God does not need me. God does not need you. We are one of seven billion people in the world. We're nobodies. Thank you for coming to Cross Lane. I'm glad you could come get that encouragement this morning. Look at, look at how he dealt with Moses. God didn't pump Moses up full of flesh. He said, Moses, you're right. You you don't have what it takes, just you by yourself. You don't. The question is, do I have what it takes? It's not about what you've got, Moses. It's about what I've got. The question is, do you believe I've got what it takes? This is so much better than some pop psychology thing where he builds up our flesh, pump you full bunch of stuff. Isaiah 43 says, you are precious in my sight. You are honored, and I love you. Isn't that cool? Let me ask you, if, if God values you based on, views you based on your value, what happens when you blow it? What happens when you make a bad decision? If it's all based on how good you are, once you aren't good anymore, what then what? It's got to be based on more than that, or else we, none of us should even try to do anything big for God. God says, I put my eyes on you, and that means you're valued. It's a choice that God has made to put his love on us. I have a, I meant to bring it this morning, I forgot. I have a hammer at home, and, and the hammer is old. You would look at it and you'd say, it's, not even, it's just a hammer. And if we were to put it in a yard sale, somebody might offer $2 for that hammer. But you know what? My dad gave me that hammer. And that hammer's worth way more than $2 to me. It wouldn't mean anything to anybody else, but that hammer means a lot to me. I need to hurry. i got to really get in a hurry here. Had Moses bowed up and said, I'm not going to do it, you know what? God would have found somebody else to do it. 
God's going to get done the things that God wants to get done through us, with us, or without us. I want to be on the right end of that equation. The second truth is this. He will equip you to do it. I'm going to go quickly here, okay? I was probably 10, 12, 13 years old when Alex Haley had a miniseries come out on television. You remember that? Roots? It was about a boy named Kunta Kinte who was from Guinea who gets brought to the United States as a slave in the 1700s. He gets to the United States, and his new slave owner gives him a new name. Do you remember the name? Toby. And, and they spend some time trying to get Kunta Kinte to take on this new name, Toby. Your name is Toby. He said, no, my name is Kunta Kinte. I come from the Mandinka tribe, and my dad is a priest of the Mandinka tribe. I am Kunta Kinte. No, your name is Toby. Eventually, Kunta Kinte would run away from his master. They would go retrieve him, bring him back, string him up, and beat him, and they are going to beat the new name into him. Your name is Toby. And he would say, my name is Kunta Kinte. I am from the Mandinka tribe. My father is the priest of the tribe. I am Kunta Kinte. And they would hit him again. And they went through that process. And eventually, even the strongest of wills breaks down. And they hit him and they finally said, What is your name? And he and breathless said, Toby. Toby. Say it louder. Toby. And this once proud young man who had had his name literally beaten out of him. That's what's happened to many of us. And what I want to say is this, and we'll close. Don't call yourself by something that you are not. I want to tell you what and who you are. Here's what God says about you. I am God's child, John 1. Christ's friend, John 15. I am justified, Romans 1. I am bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6. I am adopted as God's child, Ephesians 1. I have access to God through the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 2. I am redeemed and forgiven of all my sin, Colossians 1. I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world, Matthew 5. I am chosen to bear fruit, John 15. I am a temple of God, 1 Corinthians 3. I am God's co-worker, 2 Corinthians 6. I am God's workmanship, Ephesians 2. I cannot be separated from the love of God, Romans 8. I am a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3. I am hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3. That is what and who you are, and you don't believe anything other than that. Don't let somebody beat out of you what God calls you. You are hidden with Christ in God. Let's pray. Father, we are such an insecure people, and we've all screwed up and made mistakes and we would love to have a lot of that stuff back but we can't all we can do is just press forward and do the best we can with today and tomorrow father i pray when you put your hand on us and you say i've got a job for you that you would not get from us a bunch of excuses but what you would get is you would get someone who's confident of the fact that we are hidden with christ in you and we're ready to go so father as we walk out these doors today i pray that you would be reminding us who we are we are We are adopted sons and daughters, and we are precious in your sight. You love us so much that you would send Jesus to die for us. Breaks us down and humbles us. Thank you, Father, for a love so strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.